This is episode 19 of the Mighty Music Snobs. My name is Arthur, your lead voice, and I've got Isaac Perry on my left. I've got Scoop Jackson. Yo, Isaac, you hear that? We're mighty now. We're <laughs> mighty music snobs. Motherfucker SoundCloud go up. <laughs> we get mighty. <laughs> <laughs> we get mighty now. Eating his chest over here. God damn. <laughs> Welcome to the B-Side. Scoop. Isaac. Shahan. Arthur. The music This is episode 19 of the Music Snobs podcast. With Isaac Perry and Scoop Jackson on the ones and twos, Jahan on the mix, and my name is Arthur, your lead voice on the MIC. We've got our journalism hats on today. We're going to examine the legacy of Vibe Magazine, which recently celebrated its 20th anniversary in publication. Um, Let's get started. Vibe Magazine. The premier issue of Vibe Magazine came out in... Late 93, was it October? I think the preview was in August. Preview was in August, and then when did the Tretch? And then that was September. That was date, It was dated September. Tretch okay. was on the preview, then Snoop was on the cover. Oh, the iconic Bow Wow Wow cover. Right. That was the actual first issue, the premier issue. The cover story written by Kevin Powell. Kevin Powell. Yeah, who some may remember Kevin back in the original, well, the first season of The Real World, MTV's Real World, which was the foundation of all the reality shows that come out. And that was probably, I know that was my connection because I, I used to watch The Real World, and when Vibe came out and I saw Kevin's byline, um, that was something that drew me to the issue itself. I mean, Vibe started out as a, uh, as a, as a multi-venture um, most prominently, I remember Quincy Jones's name being associated with Vibe, similarly to how Jay-Z is always going to be associated with the Brooklyn Nets. Right. Um, Time Warner, Russell Simmons, and they were going to put together a magazine that would essentially be what I thought to be the, the black spin or, right. the, or the spin of R&B that um, would take and put them on uh, uh, the primary stage of journalism in contrast with the, the write-on magazines, the black beat magazines that were fanzies mm-hmm. and not serious like journalistic real, profiles right. of these people. And, and, and being like a magazine head or a magazine junkie at that time in a music head, you know what I'm saying? It's like you remember at that time thinking, okay, there's a lot of money behind this. There's a lot of names behind this. Finally, we're going to see our art, our artists treated with mm-hmm. that same level of uh, professionalism and care as, you know, Rolling Stone. Because remember, see, I was, prior to that, that, it was like in Rolling Stone, it's like you would get that one. I remember looking at the cover of Rolling Stone every month and hoping mm-hmm. just to get one name on it right, exactly. that I was really interested in. Mm-hmm. And then you would get the magazine and maybe one every two issues. You might see, you know, one person's name, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It was like you would just look for those little kernels you know but now it was like oh damn we about to get a whole magazine dedicated that's ours you know that was that Mm -hmm. was major and that's what had me you know that's why i still got that preview issue because i was on it from day one 
And I always thought mm-hmm. I always thought I always associated more like Isaac with Rolling Stone at the attempt to make an urban version, an urban magazine that complemented Rolling Stone as opposed to Spin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think Vibe from the very beginning wanted to be as hip as Spin was. I thought they wanted to be more mainstream, but basically Rolling mm-hmm. Stone is. I always looked at it that way. And just from the original, like I said, the size of the magazine when it first came out, you know, an attempt to pull out long spreads and features. Um, Spin did a decent job of doing that, but for the most part, that's what Rolling Stone was, you know, that, that's, that's what they did. That's what they executed. And I think from the beginning, and like, not to go back, but even then, the original name of the magazine was supposed to be Volume. So just their attempt to like turn up the volume, you know, and turn it mm-hmm. up to an urban standpoint and do the exact same thing that Rolling Stone was doing as far as not just writing, but images. Mm-hmm. You know, and that goes back to what we were saying earlier before we came on air. If you look, you look at the original images of Vibe Magazine and from an art standpoint, what they were putting out there, Spin wasn't messing around like that. Rolling Stone was. That's right. Vibe so, did have serious iconic covers. But that's, about, that's what I think they were doing. Snoop, too, the yeah. Tretch. But look how look at I mean, the, the, the simplicity in the shots. They they were really, and if you look at some of the spreads that they had in the magazine, you know Isaac and I talk all the time about that puffy piece that they mm-hmm, did, mm-hmm. just to picture him bending. That was that the was the one it. where he's almost like angelic. With no, the we got the baseball no, hat on first one, the, the first one, the first major feature I think Puff ever had. Scott Paulson, Brian, I think wrote that. I thought Dream did, mm-hmm. but it could have no, been Scott. I think it was Scott. Okay, and it was the that that opening image was a picture of Puffy from the back. Spine. He had the Timberlands on, Timberlands on, he had, had no had shirt, right, looking over his shoulder, kneeling down, and that was like, I mean, you could do a what up on what if that didn't happen? What would right. that have done to Puffy's career? Exactly. Lack of, or even or even the Tupac covers, right? I mean. Even before, it, yeah, you know, even before, yeah, even before, even they, you know, what vibe was taking people like George Clinton, who yeah. you wouldn't think would be an iconic cover at that time, and they made it an yeah. iconic cover. Rosie you know Perez it was like Rosie Perez, Rosie iconic Perez. cover. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, it yeah. was like they were those first eight issues were you know classics. The TLC cover yeah. when they're in fire, which was the, the last, which was number eight, which was the last one that we just I kind of just discovered looking back at them. That that was the last kind of like iconic cover of that era. Then they. You know, it's, it's, I'm not going to say it's easy to make an iconic Tupac cover, but at that time period, it's like you can put Tupac on a cover and it, mm-hmm. it's like you have to mess it up. You right. know what I'm saying? It's like you, you have to go out your way to mess that up. Now, they did do the Biggie Faith, which was iconic. Um, they, in had, the they, they had, in the but on, but right. they had, other, they had other covers, but to Scoop's point, that was more in the line of Rolling Stone, uh, uh, Ethos than, you know, a Spin or a Cream or something. Yeah, I agree. But even on the Tupac point, I mean, you're right. He, he was such a, um, he was such a vibrant figure at that time that you're right. It, you'd have to mess it up not to make it a good one. But but even still, you know, putting him in a straight jacket, that that tagline they had is Tupac still crazy or is Tupac crazy, that that was a big deal. But see, here's why I say spin content-wise more so than Rolling Stone, even with the covers, because we're talking about fall of 1993. The premiere issue is Tretch from Naughty by Nature. Not Hammer, who was number one in, in, mm. in the charts. Hip hop had not fully encroached into into the pop or even the even the R and B territory yet. They had just started doing this. But they went with Tretch from Naughty by Nature for their premiere issue. They went with Snoop Dogg, who had yet to have his album released as the premiere issue. Uh, that is a spin move. That's an alternative move. That's not a mainstream move like something that Rolling Stone was doing at that time. Well, it's interesting though because in Scoop Crepman from okay, so the previews you dropped in August. Yeah, something like that. July, August, right, summer, right, basically. Right, right. Early, I think it was early summer because I remember it was a long time. Yeah. Between that preview issue and issue mm-hmm. number one. Yeah. So then, 
the issue number one drops and it's Snoop. Preview was Tretch. Issue number one was Scoop. If I remember correctly, and it, you know, it's hard to go back that long, but at the beginning of that summer, it was like Tretch was supposed to be like the one. He was right. the he one. Was That's the, what I'm saying. I, I, he was going to be the one like to change everything. They were you know Yeah. By the time that number one issue came around, Scoop or uh, Scoop Snoop almost had that kind of thrown on him because that was after. That was before his album, but it that was, was before after, his album. It was, that was after, after the chronic. The chronic it was after Deep Cover. Yeah, the Deep Cover mm-hmm. ruled that summer. Was that that summer the Deep Cover ruled? Okay, so and then Dre put out the Chronic, and Snoop had become an icon. So I don't. I'm not saying I disagree with Arthur. I'm just saying I don't. Snoop is was basically him. If you're trying to establish yourself in this genre of hip hop journalism, or you know, mm-hmm. you have to go that route. And his album was one of the most anticipated albums in the history of hip hop at the time. So to me, that's a safe cover. That's not a spin move. That's a Rolling Stone move. Uh, Rolling Stone still has a Rolling Stone. They still have the tendency to be try to stay ahead of the curve, not necessarily avant garde, but ahead of the curve. So I don't, and, I don't look not, at that as a spin move. And let's not forget as well that you know you guys are you guys bring up white mainstream um, periodicals here, Spin, Rolling Stone. But there was also a competition with the Source, right? Now they may have felt immediately that they were above that competition. Uh, they may have felt immediately that they weren't going for that, but there was, there would still be, and there was at the time, I understand, the inevitable comparisons because the source was the the more sort of uh, known um, magazine covering black music at that time. So for them to choose Snoop, I think, is not such a stretch in the way of you know this is what the source will be doing, this is what we should be doing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm not saying they were following them, but just that they were aware, <laughs> they were mindful of what. Uh, what 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 the source was doing yeah I, I think that i think they were trying to the vibe you know and i wasn't there but i think what they were trying to do was capture not just we're not just going to do hip-hop and hip-hop right. music right exactly we're going right. to do black culture hip-hop culture urban culture but when you have wesley yeah. snipes it's like you're what well, i think it was the third, second third, second, third cover yeah that, that is, it, right. is that the only non-music is that the only non-music based cover they've ever had oh no oh they've no not at all. Than, they've had several that's that, we, just that's, mentioned, we just mentioned rosie and, perez right and that's my that was issue number six or something like that and that's my point is that they you know they clearly show from the get-go that one we're going to be about this broader cultural thing and then second I think with the Tretch and the, and the Snoop covers, what they were doing, I agree with what, what Scoop said. It was a safe thing. But I think what they were trying to do is say, we're about the future. Because this cat right here is the next big thing that's going to just you know dominate. What, if, you, if you really look at it, Tretch at the time embodied everything that hip hop was about. And as a magazine trying to establish yourself, you know, establish yourself in a marketplace where you do have the source, which is considered the Bible. And I know for a fact that Vibe magazine never looked at the source and looked at them and said, you know, we're trying to do better than them. That wasn't their thing. Quincy had a bigger vision of this being a more comprehensive magazine that that supported all of black yeah, music. I, all I, of I agree. Music. My point with the source is more from a consumer standpoint, like me, who was, I don't know, whatever, however old I was back then, without any ties to the industry at all, still in uh, school. Uh, in, in high school, the comparisons were inevitable because it was like, okay, I buy the source, and then everybody's talking about, well, you know, there's this new one coming out. You know, you can't, you can't not make that comparison, or you couldn't not make that comparison as a entry level consumer. Once we read Vibe, what we all noticed, and we talked about the covers, let's start talking about the content. What we all noticed was that the source was very much more, whether it was staffed or written, it was very much from more of a fan's perspective. Whereas Vibe immediately gave you a professional feeling. It gave you the feeling that this is 
this is legitimate. Whereas the source could it could have been your guys working at the source. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas Vibe was very much more this is industry looking at industry r- rather than fans, you know, talking about what they love. It there was a different level of approach to journalism at the time. Uh, Vibe wanted to be able to use artists to tell stories as opposed to like the source, which was more trying to, I think, keep you in touch with what was going on inside of a culture. Right. You know, I, th- I think if you look at the writers that almost became iconic through working from Vibe magazine, you know, it, it shows that from the beginning, they're on from the onset, they wanted to have this magazine built around what his writers and his photographers and his art director did. It wasn't so much that they wanted you connected to a specific culture. They wanted the journalism. They wanted the the images to be what this magazine was about. And that leads it to looking and sounding and reading more professional because their focus, Mm -hmm. as Jahan said, was totally, totally different from the outset. There's no way in the source back in the day you would see spreads to the degree that you saw coming out of Mm -hmm. Mm Vibe. You know, um, um, you don't, because... It takes yeah. Scott Pulse and Bryant can't do in four pages what he can do in seven. You give that cat seven, he gonna get you. You give Greg Tate seven, he's gonna get you. You give Dream seven, they're gonna get you. The source was not about giving you seven pages. You know, Vibe was like, yes, let's stress this out. Let's give our journalists the time. They weren't gonna do portraits. You know what I'm saying? They weren't even. I, I give the source credit. You talked about the Tupac image. The, the source was the magazine that caught the greatest Tupac image ever when he first had his Thug Life tattoo. And he had the gun in the waist of his Carl Kanai jeans and the blunt in his hand. The source captured that. But because that wasn't their thing, they didn't utilize it the way that if Vibe had had that. If Vibe had had mm-hmm. that image, we'd be talking about that image right now on this show because that's what they were about. Yeah, I think Vibe was almost, because I agree with what John said about them being feeling more professional, more industrial or more about the industry, but they're also more artistic. And I think yes. that kind of goes hand in yeah, hand. Definitely. You know, they were willing to be avant-garde a little bit. Yes. It was almost like Vibe. It's like the source was more Brooklyn. The vibe was like Manhattan. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So it was like Vibe knew we can sell to some kids in Brooklyn too, yeah. but we're going to get the, the white chicken in, in, in Midtown Manhattan, right. you know what I'm saying, to buy our magazine as well, where she may not, she may feel a little gangster get, grabbing the source. She'll walk right up to the newsstand and grab Vibe magazine with uh, Lauren Hill on the cover. Right. You know, exactly. so I think they instinctively and if you look at Quincy Jones man if you look at if you look at him as a as an artist you know what I'm saying that's Quincy that's Quincy that's what I'm saying, saying? That's, that's, what, that's, that's what I was trying to say that's his beginning. music it's all Quincy you know, it's, that's his it's music. Quincy's vision this is all yeah. Quincy's vision this is Thriller you know what yeah. I'm saying this is taking black and a black aesthetic and making it more so much palatable that it becomes a pop and at the exactly. same time if we're gonna have this conversation let's be honest about it their, their seed money that they had was much more than the source sources was still from the beginning an independently owned and run magazine yeah. You know, Vibe on the jump off had time, warning, money behind it. That's why they were able to hire, you know, Eclipse the staff over at Slam Magazine. That was primarily what Quincy did. He brought in that time warning. He brought the they, money to time the table. invested because of Quincy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That, he, he's, he's, he was the broker. He's the one that brought the money to the table. Without Quincy's name on this magazine, we don't, it doesn't start off this way. The jump off is not as strong. The money is not put behind it. You know, so with that money, you know, I'm pretty sure if you gave the source that money, I don't know if they could do what Vibe did, but. You would have seen a much more polished, probably, magazine, even if it wanted to stay true to its, quote-unquote, like I said, Brooklyn roots. But Vibe from the Jump had something that a lot of magazines don't have as startups. 
Well, let's talk about the circle of influence that it began then. We're talking a little bit about it, but like you talk about the source and and how they were kind of trying to up their game to get on the level of vibe in terms of the quality of and, and the presentation. On the West Coast, you had rap pages. They began to care about quality of their spreads. They yeah. have some iconic covers. They mm. were the ones that had the biggie cover with the crown mm. cocked on his head. They were the ones that had the old dirty bastard cover that paid homage to the to the 1993 Rolling Stone cover of Janet Jackson when old boys got her, got his hand on her on her breast and she's mm. shirtless. Was all was all this prior to Double XL? Yeah, prior because Sheena Lester was running um, right. rap pages back then. But understand, is it safe to say? Well, my point being, is it safe to say that Vibe magazine raised the bar? Oh, yes. Other magazines began to reorganize how they were doing their stuff. And even Essence magazine, Ebony magazine began to get more entertainment focused on the people that they put on their cover. Well, true. I think you're exactly right. But we got to understand also that Rap Page was owned by um, Larry Flint, Mm -hmm. Larry Flint's publication. So what he did is he saw through, I think Sheena Lester. I want to give Sheena a little credit here. I think she was the one that pushed him to make him understand, look, this is the money. This is what's going on in New York right now. You know, you have Source and you have Vibe in New York making money. This is an entity that you need to invest in. So they, they kind of they didn't have time wanting money, but she had Larry Flint money. Larry Flint money is kind of long. Deep. Right, it's deep. <laughs> so he started putting money into Rap Pages magazine. So that in, enabled a change to be made because she can invest. Sheena could invest in writers. She can invest in photographers. Sorry. She can invest in layout, right, because right. she had the money. She, she had access to the money to do it because the publisher saw what was going on in New York and knew they could do the same thing in Los Angeles if, you know, they just had some money. So that also helped. In an indirect way, Vibe kind of changed that also. But you got to understand, it has to come, that had to come with money. You know, and Sheena was a, a phenomenal editor-in-chief, so she had a vision too. So she was more the right person. Was she the, the right first EIC of Rap Pages? And, um, then, and, and then Alan Gordon? Yes, I want, but I'm trying to wonder if she was the first. I think there was somebody before she and then it was she. So that is just to say, before we even get on the whole double XL thing, yes, you're right with rap pages, but you gotta understand there's money that's connected to that also. It's not just, it's not just a vision saying, oh yeah, vibes to the game. No, it was Larry Flint saying, hey, you know, I got a magazine right. I've been doing but, for a few but, years. But the point is, like, people were seeing what was going on, and vibe was kind of, and it's interesting because a lot of a lot of hip hops more sophisticated type of the era of sophistication and glitz we put a lot of that on puffy in that you know that time period and that's what started but really if you look at vibe man that was like the first time because it's interesting thing about hip-hop culture any youth culture it's like we want to be authentic you know what i'm saying especially those of us who grew up in it we want to be authentic we want to be somewhat grimy would it be not we don't need this and that but we always want to know that we have access you know what i'm saying if we want to go to the black tie fair we want to know that we can go if we want to we may not go we may go and trash it with our boys just, or whatever just want but we want to know that we can go if we want yeah. to vibe was like that first thing it was like look we can take our music and put it on this pedestal just like you know uh, rolling stone does with other music you know we can do that that kind of kicked off you know what i'm saying this era of a more polished you know hip-hop you yeah. know, so to speak uh, i've always said it, it was the magazine that made america take rap music seriously and which is, like I said, is even more interesting because so many of those covers were not rap. You know, were no. either cultural things or R&B, you know, focus. Of course, this is the time, like we said so many other times on the show, where rap and hip hop was starting to starting to really just co-op, 
you know, mm-hmm. R&B. Right. But at the same time, this was a magazine that said yeah, we're about culture more than right. anything else. Right. Um, but yeah, I get your point. But aside from the covers and aside from the production value, aside from the fact that they would give more latitude to their writers in covering their subjects and allow them more words and more pages in, in which to do it. For me, the biggest striking point for Vibe was that it, it had its own identity. It had an identity away from just objective exactly. journalism. Great. It had Great a point. particular voice. Great and point. I remember, the, you know, the funny thing is, I remember, sta- I still remember it to this day, standing in 7-Eleven um, in Hammersmith, I think it's closed now, but I was standing there and I was reading the first issue of Vibe because um, you know we I used to read them in the in the convenience store rather than buy them <laughs> right. then. you were the, you were uh, one of those <laughs> right right um, I was I was too and, <laughs> and uh, I remember without a doubt even when we even when I started buying them a couple of months later I remember without a doubt I would always be actually more interested in what the writers were doing than what they were actually writing about and what I mean by that is I was always more interested in running articles that Vibe would always open their editorials with. Start. I was always more interested in Next. I was always more interested in Black Owned by Greg Tate. And I was, I mean, I was obsessed, obsessed with Bones Malone's Sticks and Stones and uh, later Tough Street. You know, I mean, Mm. I used to decorate my room with those articles (laughs) and, you know, the artwork by uh, Dante TC5. Those were, those were fantastic. And to the point that I actually loved the covers and I loved who they'd cover. I loved that they would cover, you know, Michelle Endego Cello and Puffy in the same issue. I would love that. I would love that they would always do a prop section right at the back. But it was always more the actual writers themselves and that particular voice. And they were all different, you know, because Greg Tate was, you know, he came across very, very professional. You know, Bones Malone came across as much more kind of unique personal this is what the people are saying kind of voice but that's what i used to look forward to i mean used to run home and, and i remember in the the few issues where bones wouldn't be in it for whatever reason they wouldn't do a sticks and stones i was up in arms like calling my boys like what the hell you see bones ain't in this issue what's going you on you know but- you know you call vibe officers don't say you called your boys you call vibe officers <laughs> like hello this is john yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like who is this guy that keeps calling us <laughs> and, and you know whenever they have anything in there that that was on Bones and not on them, right? <laughs> right. He probably yeah, he disappeared, right? Right. Right. Well, e- either way, I mean, it was that particular voice that the source didn't have, in my view. It's mostly the voice. Well, what vibe, what vibe did really well. This is I agree with you. Or Rolling Stone or the Spin or Olympia. I agree with you, John. As far as in in black music journalism, what they did very well is they took that concept gay uh, gay Tlee started it in uh, esquire with the, uh, the frank sinatra joint remember, in the 60s or whatever that was basically putting himself in the story and using himself as a way to tell this this story about frank sinatra frank sinatra has a cold i believe his name is the article and vibe took that you know many you know for years that that impacted journalism you know, as a whole but vibe took that and basically melded it with this concept that had already been going on in hip-hop or in rap music more specifically with the MC who was telling the story and putting himself in that place right so they were able to find a way for these journalists to you know kind of it was very it was very professionally done most of the time and even when with with like bonds it was still you know it was they presented it in a way that was like we're not trying to fool you you know what i'm saying this is what this, this is what this dude is this is what he's about to talk about you know it's wild whatever here it is right so 
they were able to do that and I think with the better writers and with, it always depends upon your writer because you can give that concept to a whack writer it's not going to turn out right but with their best their best writers um, like uh, Scoop said the Great Taste the Dreams uh, the Scott Pulse and Bryans with those type of cats they were able to take these stories and show you you know that use themselves as that lens but do it through a, a hip hop urban youth culture that to me is immediately relatable you know what I'm saying to us without right. to your point Jahan it wasn't like they were my boy you know what I'm saying it wasn't like the source or other magazines where I felt like these were my boys or anything but mm-hmm. I looked up to them you know what I'm saying I looked mm-hmm. up to these people mm-hmm. and but they were still relatable to me and I, I think that's something that Vibe did uh, very mm-hmm. well throughout their early you know the early part of their run but that comes to leadership though you know that that's when you have a yeah. good a great editor-in-chief who pushes that it feeds off to your journalists it feeds off it feeds off to your art directors. It feeds off to your photographers. So you know, um, they they see that their work is going to have some value. You know, and it's not going to be lost or it's not going to be diminished. You know, artists, and we're talking about you know writers and, and and photographers and and art directors. When they see their art is not going to be bastardized, diluted in a way, the way they approach their art is different. You know, Vibe, I can tell you from a journalist standpoint, that was the one magazine as as young writers, we knew that if we got something in there, it was going to be in there. It was going to mean something. You know what I'm saying? You're proud of it, right? Your work wasn't going to be chopped and screwed or twisted and turned and to me, you know, but you went in there knowing that. So your approach to that craft is totally different, you know, and and, and no disrespect to any other magazines out there, but this Vibe gave you room to, they wanted you to be a journalist. They wanted you to be a photographer. You know, so it, when you're when you're a photographer and you're sending your work in to vibe, you know, you're, you're sending your sheet in, you know, for what you shot for them, your assigned sheet. You knew that they were going to pick the best shots. You know, you knew that at the end of the day, when you looked up and looked at the spread that you may have done on whoever, Rosie Perez or TLC, whatever, you knew your shots, the shot that you liked as a photographer, nine times out of ten, they're going to make it. You're not going to get the magazine back and look and say, damn, why didn't they use, you know, or you want, or is that right? You wouldn't go get back. Damn, they twist, you know, this is not how I started this story. They twisted this or turned this around. Vibe, you weren't getting that. Vibe as an artist, you knew that your work was going to have some value to it and it was going to have a chance to breathe. And once again, I think from the top down, it starts there. You know, and once Jonathan Van Meter started that kind of policy, Inside of that, when he was te- telling Kevin Powell, look, do you. You know, when he was telling the Daniel Smith and the Rob Kenners, do you. You know, when he was telling Bones how you should write sticks and stones, tell him, just do it. We're going to take care of it. You know, the, grab is going to, the presentation is going to be nice. That gives him a whole different approach to how to go at it. You know, and I think that stayed true for at least the first couple of years. So, Scoop, would you say that Vibe, at least back then, was more courageous than oh, other magazines. Yeah, I think so. Because I, I don't think, I think what other magazines were doing, no disrespect, was easy. I think what right. the source was doing was easy. I think what Rap Pages was doing easy. I think what Rap Sheet was doing was easy. Well, did, they, did they want to do it? Do you think that other magazines of that time, you know, given that you were working at that time, do you think that other magazines of that time would have wanted to do what Vibe were doing? But do you think that yeah, there they, were industry they risks or Money. corporate risks Money. to do it? Well, here's the thing. You had, you had two visions in place and I, like Isaac is saying right now. is It's money. Money. Money kind of changes a little bit of everything. Money but gives you the, the ability to be creative because with the, with the seed money that they had at Time Warner, they could afford to fail. 
You know, so when you when okay. you can afford the failure, they you can came be out the gate with swagger. You know yeah. what I'm saying? They had a, they had they had fun. Dog, I forgot what the statistic is, but it's something like it's north of sixty or seventy percent of all magazines that come out within the I think it's within the first two or three issues are dead. Well, you know what I'm saying? It's like the majority of magazines that get started in this country die. You know what I'm saying? The gross majority of them. So when you come out of the gate with Time Warner and you got all this money, you know, you got a certain amount of swagger. It's like, yo, we we gonna be here for a minute. And if you look at those first eight issues of Vibe the vibe you know no pun intended but the vibe of those magazines was was real like you know putting their nuts on the table basically like look okay. this is who we this is what we doing this is what you know, we they, this is what they we didn't know. have to worry where their next paycheck was coming from well, i don't had, know if they had to worry i mean individuals because you know you get fired it's like you know right you know right. it's like you get fired anytime and they'll just put something but, else but in jonathan your van meter knew that the lights would be on oh yeah at the magazine yeah at the magazine yeah, I, yeah absolutely they were fine. Yeah. i mean i think okay. they had a i think and this is just me from the outside looking in you know, I think they safely had a year, year and a half under their belt to fail. Mm-hmm. And which most, is, which I, is an enormous That's a amount lot of time. Of time. Okay, yeah. so that's so credit to Quincy for, for earmarking the Time Warner money for them. But who do you have? Who do we have to thank for that strong stretch right at the beginning? Oh, I mean, and like you, you to, mentioned, like, Jonathan Van Meter. Yeah, yeah, I mean, starts at the top. You can you can never underestimate from a journalistic standpoint or a writing standpoint. Period. The importance of voice. You know what I'm saying? I, I, anytime I ever talk to young writers, it's like you have to give yourself time to find your voice. So to actually find a voice, not just for yourself, but for an entire magazine and to be able to yeah. have that everything from the spine of the because if you look at go, go to double XL when Scoop and them were running it. The spine of the magazine had a voice. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It was like everything. You and it was to done know purposely. It was done on the, purposely. The, 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 the attitude or the emotional content of the, whoever yeah, was running that, that magazine. You just had that. to look at the spine and it was like, that told a story. And yeah, of course it was intentional because it was like, who thinks about the spine? They thought about the spine and it was the, uh, it was branding from there throughout the magazine. So to be able to establish your voice that early in a magazine like uh, Vibe, you know, from the get go. Yeah. A lot of credit goes to EIC. A lot of credit goes to publishers. A lot of credit goes to those writers. Cause like I said, you can have a great voice and great ideas. If the work is whack is whack here. And I think this is also important to mention Jahan they also did not build the magazine on putting their friends on. Right, okay. You know what I'm saying? Which is hard to Which do Which is hard to do it. But here's the thing, you gotta <laughs> say, Jonathan Van Meter came from the outside. He was an outsider. So he's an outsider. His, his circle of friends are not the same circle of friends that he would have right for this magazine. He's a gay white guy. That's, you know, coming in from a magazine background. So he wasn't hiring his boys because his boys didn't know these stories to tell. So what Van Meter... Van Meta was able to do was hire who he felt were writers that already had a voice. He was just giving them a bigger voice. And I think that's credit too. Because nobody, nobody at Vibe was really a, a startup. You know, it wasn't like they were finding new writers straight out of school, out of J school or anything like that. They, they, I think Dream was right. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's exceptions. Yeah, but for the most part, Cats had a little, you know, they, were, they had a little bit of leg in the game. So they had a voice already. So what it did was, to your credit, to what you just said, they gave a voice, but they were close to finding their voices already. And Jonathan Van Meter and whoever else was selecting writers at the time, they were looking at writers who they felt already had a voice. Writers they didn't have to train a teacher how to get to that vibe swag. I like your writing. Your stuff is already there. We're pulling you in. Yeah, and avoiding that clickish you know, yeah. attitude. Because that clickish attitude is playing a lot of journalism. Oh, it has, yes. Black journalism. That's why I mentioned it, yeah. 
um, to avoid that was was major. So, but like I said, because he was who he was, and his circle of friends didn't cover that genre of culture, he had to go outside and find people to have. And I think since none of them were his friends, you know what I'm saying? He he basically built, or they built the uh, they built the foundation of that magazine off of true writership. No nepotism, no friendship, no look, look. We feel it is these are the best writers in the game right now that can tell the story. And when you're able to do that, that's where the success, I think, comes from. No, I was going to say also, this was the perfect storm, man, because look at what was happening with music at the time. You know, oh, this, is the, this is the early 90s. Mm-hmm. This was like golden... You say know, kind of like say golden age, it, golden age, say it, say it, say golden it. age one. This was, this was golden yeah, age the only one. This was number this the, one. This was still in the midst of the golden two. age of hip hop, and then it was also the beginning of a great time with R and B slash hip hop. You yeah. know, you had with Mary J and Jodeci and, and what Puff was going to right, do. Right, 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 so right. So these, this was a perfect storm for it's, you know for uh, to be covering as far as journalistically. Scoop, it's interesting what you said about Jonathan Van... I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Van Meter. I think Meta, it's Van, Van Meter. Meter. Is it Meta? I it's, um, oh. but I've, yeah. I've always said Van Meter. Is he writing um, for Rolling Stone now still? I don't know what he's doing. I saw. I think the last time I saw his byline was New York Times or something. Yeah, I saw him in New York Times, but I don't well, know if he's there all the time. It, but it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that he was not part of a traditional kind of... Whether it's a cultural circle or, um, or whatever. Uh, and, and, and his kind of... His power perhaps came from the fact that... Or his ability perhaps came from the fact that he was outside that circle and, and could thus be objective mm-hmm. about who he worked with, etc. I know that very quality is what I think uh, John Schechter was criticizing him for when they were setting Vibe up. Mm-hmm. Because he was like, well, what do you know? You know, and it was what was funny is that you had, I remember very briefly reading about like a, uh, a very small war of words between these two quote-unquote outsiders, at least back then. Because you had John Schechter, who was a white guy from, middle-class white guy from Harvard, and uh, he'd set up the source. And then you had uh, Van Van Meter, Van Meter, who um, was, as you said, a, uh, a white guy from outside the social or cultural circle that you would normally associate with, with these type of writers. But it was interesting that that very feature that we're saying perhaps was, you know, one of the one of the feathers in his cap to make sure that he could he could do this properly. It's interesting that that was the very feature that he was being criticized for at first. And I know that Russell Simmons also was 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 quite critical of that aspect too. Yeah, he was. Schechter was a guy that felt at least even though he was white and some hard, but he was still ingrained in hip hop. Van Metal wasn't. But that goes to people not seeing what Quincy and Time were trying to do. They weren't trying to make a hip hop magazine. They were trying to make a magazine, a cultural magazine. And, you know, if you build around, like you said, writers with voices, you know, that's going to be the telltale of the magazine. Their main concern was somebody that has some magazine experience. Schechter didn't have that much magazine experience when he came into doing the source. And for Time Warner to be involved in a project this big, right, they, they weren't going to do sure. anything with nobody <laughs> that had never run a magazine before. Right. So that was their right. thing. They're like, look, y'all can tell these stories you want to. Them, This is a magazine. This is a magazine business. So in order to do this, somebody with some magazine business experience has to run it. We don't give a damn about if they know about what they're writing. That's not, that's not <laughs> right. their thing. Before somebody has to run check. a magazine. right? Well, where did it all go sideways? Because... Vibe shuttered its doors, I believe, in 2009. For like two months. Yeah, for like three or four months. And yeah, then... but they still shuttered their doors. Right. And when they shuttered their doors, 
the, the run public ended. figured it was yeah it, you know it was done it, it, it so we talked way about all this ended. journalistic quality <laughs> but let's, let's be honest way it went well, sideways <laughs> way before 2009 well, well, that's way what I'm saying. before where, where was the turning point I got, okay because Maybe i know that i know that i know that they didn't want to be a hip-hop magazine mm-hmm. but all of the influence that they had the journalistic quality that they had they weighed in heavily mm-hmm. in hip-hop during a time that was very destructive for hip-hop the East and Coast, right. they were West much Coast. Yeah, yeah, they were big. They had a lot of covers with Puffy. But did they, they weigh in? A lot in? of I mean, covers with Big. Is... They had a lot of covers with Tupac. Right. They had a Death Row Family cover. Okay, mm. but hold on, hold on. Right. Before we right. even get to that, I think that where did it go wrong? Because I think we all agree it was way before 2009. Personally, for me, in 93, 94, when this album, when this this magazine jumped off, I think I was in my first or second year of journalism school, and so for me. To see this type of journalism, you know, at this level was just like, a, you know, like a path lit up. It was like, bam, like this is mm-hmm. the way you mm-hmm. should go. You know what I'm saying? A runway. Right. Because here's this, you know, you've been preparing for this. Here it is. Boom. This is, you know, something you can you can look look at and say, OK, this is what I can aspire to. It was interesting because I did not get to write for Vibe until maybe... 2002 2001 or 2002. And this was in the decline. And it's so funny because what you guys said earlier they called me. They wanted me to do a story. This is when uh, Kobe Bryant was releasing an album. Okay. Never got released, by the way. I have a copy of it, but never got released. So he was up. He was in Milwaukee. They, you know, called me and said, well, look, we'll fly you up to Milwaukee, hotel, blah, blah. I said, you know, I'm an hour away from it. I'll drive up to Milwaukee. So I drive up there. Nice hotel. You know, kick it with Kobe, talking to Kobe after the game. Boom, 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 whatever. Write the story. My voice at that time was more so associated with golden age vibe like real journalism you know gave the piece to vibe i think I, I may have done one revision on it it was a short piece it's like 500 words you know 750 words but i remember they never called me and let me know it was even you know nothing else i never heard anything else i think it might have been you i was in la doing something else you know another story and i think i, I may have been talking to you or somebody else and told me point the scoop i know they can't see me pointing point the scoop but said yo it's out you know blah blah your story's out so i find a newsstand in in la open this magazine up first time published in vibe the only thing of myself of my words that were there were the periods and the quotes (laughs) whoa (laughs) everything else was different Mm -hmm. now who was who was editor-in-chief at that time i can't it might have been danielle but i can't remember it might have been danielle i mean she she had i mean i'm not gonna even say she had anything it was a you know 500 word piece i'm sure she had nothing to do with it but anyway and I can't remember who I was working with, what you know, which editor I was working with at the time. But I opened this magazine up and see this, and you know, it was a it was an important moment because it was like, again, this is my Vi first magazine, time. This right. is Vibe magazine. This is the magazine I've been reading. I had a subscription to from you know preview issue. I sent my little subscription card, and you know, legacy member or whatever they Charter, call me, Charter right? Charter member, right? 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 Charter, Charter member, right? So I, you know, I'm reading this. I'm standing there in this this uh, bookstore newsstand or whatever in Los Angeles, and I'm reading this, and of course, I'm like. You know, I'm cursing. I'm like, you're turning, what the hell? You're turning maroon. I'm getting <laughs> turning maroon. <laughs> I'm getting upset, and then, I, and then, and you know, after the anger comes the hurt. It's like, you know, it was a good lesson though, because as a you know, a young journalist, like, you know, you gotta go through that. You know, it happens to everybody. But what tripped me out, what really, really annoyed me about it, was that when I tell you, this was the corniest, pu- most puff piece, corniest crap I had ever read. And my name was the byline on it. You didn't want your it name made me want to vomit. It, it literally made me want to throw up. It was that oh terrible. God. And that to me, to answer your question, Arthur, I saw Vibe changing before that, but I had been kind of blind to it because I had been in love with Vibe for so long that I didn't want to believe that the change was happening. At that moment, I knew it was over. 
you know what I'm saying? I hate to tie it so personally. Like, oh, they rejected my shit, so it must have been over. But it, truthfully, <laughs> tell you, it was like I'm sitting there looking at this like, this is the corniest article I've ever read in my life. It was just, I can't think of another word to describe it other than corn. It was terrible. And it was like, why would they, you know, what? whose voice is this? You know, so but that showed out? a change in their, you know, the, the totality of that magazine, the voice of that magazine had completely changed from a serious, you know, uh, irreverent type journalistic voice that was had a lot of truth to it to a very cornball pop um, bubblegum type stuff you know and i had did, no relationship did you ever find out did you ever find out what so i forgot the minute i left that i didn't buy it i left it sitting there on the stand you wiped it from and your i mind. wiped wow. it from my mind i never i don't even know what issue it is i never what, did it even was it even like by isaac perry with no some other it was punk by, who <laughs> this up, no, was it? no they never and you know what i've edited other people's stuff and like changed it a lot you know what i'm saying but i would like to think that anybody who's ever anytime i've ever served in that capacity they've read it and be like oh he made it better this was like so terrible. I wiped it from my, I worked, the, the, the coincidence is that I worked with Kobe several times, you know what I'm saying, after that, and including the, the 81 book for Nike. So I worked with him a lot on things. I never even brought that up to him, never mentioned it to him, never talked to him about it. So it was just like his album never came out. To me, that article never came out. You know what I'm saying? I just, but to take this out of my, you know, personal space and just put it to the broader context of your question. Yeah, I think before, you know, the change started happening to me, I think, maybe around uh, late 90s, early to, you know, Vibe took a lot of heat from that East, West Coast, East Coast, West Coast stuff. They took a lot of heat. People said that they had instigated it and, you know, lit a fire mm -hmm. under it and kept it going. Um, and then after that, I, I don't know, I don't know when Danielle left, but I just know that their their whole voice after that to me changed and they became very much, very safe, very pop, very, like I said, very bubblegum. And as a, you know, I kept my charter membership, but I had no interest in the magazine after that. Well, I it, think when, when Daniel came in, it started to change a little bit. It started to shift. Uh, and there was and a I, lot of I internal agree. things going on at Vibe. To a positive or to a down? To a different. Okay. To, to a safe. To, I maybe, think yeah, a yeah, much maybe, more maybe safer. To safer. Yeah. Maybe to a safer. When did, I she, just, when did she come in? I can't remember. I can't remember the dates when she came in. But I, I can tell you personally, you know, from being in the offices and, you know, knowing some people that's in there, there were... Um, there was a lot of internal stuff going on there. You know, I think if you want a real answer to the question, I think it started to change and go, I'll say change, I don't want to say go left, but it's change in increments. When Van Metter left, you started to see a little change. Then the turmoil with uh, Kevin Powell, you know, and then he wasn't there anymore, a little more change. You know what I'm saying? Then Bones wasn't there anymore, and not that Bones was right in light, but like, like, like Jahan said, his voice was still big to the front of the magazine, it started to change a little more. You know, then Danielle comes in, starts to change a little more. Then the whole Dream Hampton thing goes down, where she's right and not right, whatever's going on with that, a little bit started to change. So incrementally, you know, it started to shift a little bit. Now, that's just from a personnel standpoint. I think if you really want to go back and start to pinpoint when the dynamics of the magazine started to change, for me... I think you could really go to that TLC cover. The first one, which was what we said, issue number eight. That's when I first noticed that the principles at Vibe magazine weren't what I thought they, what they were in the beginning. Because they kind of tricked them into that cover. TLC. Yes. This cover is, is, is them in fireman suit. And at the time... The big TLC fires it yeah, up. TLC fires it up, right? Something like that. But at the time, 
the big story was about Lisa Lopez burning down Andre Rise's yeah. house, who was a boyfriend Andre at Rice. the time. They dressed them up in, I think, nine different outfits for the entire photo shoot. And the fireman suit just happened to be one of them, you know. So, but they knew ahead of time what they were going to do. But in order to make this happen, because they knew if they went to TLC and said, hey, we want you this one, that wasn't going to happen because they understood what they were doing. But they tricked them. Oh, we're doing a whole collage of different things. Almost set it up like a fashion show for them. So if you look at the photo shoot, they're having fun and this, that, and the other. And they think it's a fun thing. Vibe took advantage of that situation. And I was like, damn, that's some sneaky, sneaky, sneaky shit to do. But that's when I started to see changes in the principle about what this magazine really stood for. Because I don't think they would have done that in the beginning. You know, and I'm not saying it's a personnel change. I'm saying it's a principle change. You know, because I don't think Vibe had to go that route in order to build up their readerships or get cut up. You know, that's, that's, that's a Bush League move. You know what I'm saying? And I never looked at Vibe as being that way. So to answer your question, I think it started changing incrementally with the personnel. But also, I saw a principle change starting right there. And then, and to me, once... Once that became your MO, and I've dealt with them, you know, in certain occasions since then, and Isaac's right about what they were able, what they, what they do to some stories that come through there. And it's been amazing to me to see Lola still have great stories in Vibe Magazine. Is she still writing time. for them? Yes, she What's is. Her, how do you pronounce her last? Oh, is it um, Oganuk? Oganaki? Yeah, Oganaki. She, but she, I know. She's an amazing. She's an amazing writer. Amazing. And she, she also writes for New York Newsweek. Times, I believe. Newsweek. Newsweek. Okay. Newsweek. Yeah. But she just did something on Justin Bieber in here, which is interesting to me because in, in the issue that came out last year, their juice issue, whatever. But she has a story on Justin Bieber in here. And it's like two pages. You got Lola in here who's basically been the foundation as far as your voice is concerned. The best writer that you have at this magazine at Vibe. You give her Justin Bieber. And you give her two pages. Two pages. We can, I think we can probably boil down three main phases of Vibe quality, at least from my perspective as a non-journalist from the outside looking in, the first phase, which was the amazing covers, Greg Tate, Bones Malone, Jonathan Van uh, Meta, Clint Scales, and you know, going into that. And then you had a dip in quality where they became much more puff piece dominant, but it was still a magazine. It was still a print magazine. And then you had a phase where, I don't know when this started, because I think I abandoned ship as a reader long before this. But then you had a phase where, and I think it currently is still in that phase, where it's almost like the internet on paper, mm-hmm. where it's, it's, it's extremely garish in its color layout. It's, um, you have many, many articles which overlap each other. And what I mean by that is on the same page, you'll have three different articles. And that was always the case, has always been the case with every magazine in the opening pages where they try to cram in a few things in, in the editorial part. But it almost seemed like 50% of the magazine was like that. And also, it got to the point where 15, 20 pages into the magazine, there's no words written by anybody on that magazine. It's just Armani or <laughs> Verizon or <laughs> Tommy Hilfiger or Polo or Dolce Gabbana, you know. And, and I know that was part of Vibe's power in the beginning, that they were actually getting these accounts where, of course, you know, the source or rap pages etc or any other any other comparable from a musical standpoint wasn't getting it but it got to the point where that became overwhelming but i think just generally speaking just that internet kind of imagery that it seemed to not just i don't know inherit but almost actively chase uh, it, it, it was just nauseating even reading it 
it is nauseating reading it. Yeah, and not just Vibe. I think so many magazines were afflicted with that same thing when it became apparent how powerful, you know, the internet was going to be as far as the way we consume, you know, our journalism or, you know, our media. So many magazines, you know, did that same thing, trying to emulate, you know, the the internet, which to me was ridiculous because you can't. You're not a digital, you know, you're a piece of paper. You're not a not a digital thing moving on my screen. So I, I you know, I, I hear what you're saying, Jahan, but I think that was a lot of magazines are guilty of you're that. Right. And I think that what it, I think the reason that it hurts us more so, obviously, with vibe is because you know we have a much more, especially those of us in our age group who had, who were there at the beginning of this mm-hmm. magazine, we have a much more personal relationship with that. And then also because there hasn't been another vibe. It's not like vibe died and then something mm-hmm. came up to replace it. No, it's the whole you know black actor in Hollywood thing. The scoop and I talk about a lot. It was like you can only have one. You know, you can only have one Denzel mm-hmm. at a time. You may get a Will Smith. You may get this, but you're not going to have multiple you know uh, actors of that caliber allowed to shine at that that level. The same thing with this magazine game. Where it's like nothing took the place of Vibe, and you know, especially early Vibe, and you know, reclaim that stature. I haven't, you know, I can't, I can't really speak on Vibe today. I, I haven't looked at the magazine to be honest in a long time. Um, so, but you know, I haven't heard any, nobody's ever come to me and say, yo, there's this great article on Vibe. I haven't heard that in a long time either. I'll say one thing. There are some people writing for Vibe nowadays who, who still give it their best and they still have good output. There's one guy writing for it called Keith Murphy. Oh, yeah, I know Keith, Keith very yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. We know you Keith know, very he, well. He, he's great. There's a couple, there's a couple, I think, XXL alumni there, aren't there? Yeah, I know Keith. Rob Kidd. I think Rob Kidd is still there. Rob Isn't Jermaine is, Hall running it? Yeah, Jermaine, Jermaine Hall is running it. Yeah. Is Daytuan there? Uh, Daytuan is there in a, I think, a almost executive editor capacity. I got the latest, um, I think one of the latest issues with with Miguel on the cover. And they had like a top 20 genius perspective. And it, I, I like the parameters around it, actually. They, they decided, okay, we are going to evaluate the geniuses of the vibe lifetime. And you can only choose people who have been genius while we've been in print. And their genius can't predate our launch date. It was nicely done, and I was I was impressed. But just again, layout wise, it was just so Las Vegasly internet, <laughs> nice. you know. And 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 what was 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 crazy about it is that they're abandoning the strength of print media in favor of weak familiarity. Mm-hmm. Listen, what you have to understand, Jahan, is that the publishers nowadays believe that because of the internet, the attention span of the reader has basically dissipated or automatically disappeared. So when they're looking at their numbers go down and their advertising go down and their readership go down because of the internet, they're keeping in mind that stories on the internet are so much shorter. You know, Mm -hmm. and that leads to the attention span of the readers. So they have to adapt to that. So more than anything else, they're not looking at us as readers, as their consumers anymore. They're skewing so much younger and saying that, you know what, people don't want to have the time to sit back and read seven-page stories. We're only going to leave that. Newspapers have done the same thing. But we're going to leave that for the Sunday edition. That's basically it. You're only going to get your feature stories, your long feature stories, and the Sunday edition. Everything's going to be quick hit, quick hit, quick hit, because everything now is moving so fast. People's attention span is so short right now because they want to do what's next so soon. So that, that, that's more of a publisher thing than anything because okay. that's how all publishers are starting to think now, especially in the magazine okay. game. So this might be the most ludicrous comparison. And again, it may be just because I'm not in that industry. 
but Vanity Fair does it. Graydon Carter allows his people to do it. I guess I really am a vanity slave. Yeah, but see, they did. But look at look at the audience that you're talking about with Vanity Fair. But why haven't publishing houses believed that the vibe audience of 1993 has matured into the Vanity Fair audience of 2013? All the people who are 30 years old or 20 years old in 1993, all those people, they must be wanting something of greater quality. They do. And, they and do. And have a, like a black Vanity Fair out there. But dog, exactly. it's the same reason that we can we can't we don't find movies. You know, what I'm saying at the cinema that reflect you know our taste of you know of our generation of our age. It's the same. It's the same reason. It's hard to find literature. You know, you can't go to the bookstore and find books. They don't. The, the people that control the money. You know, what I'm saying in these who control the distribution. They have no absolutely no faith in our our. They they don't know our taste for one thing, and they're not willing to discover those tastes or to spend the time to find out what we. They're concerned about these young kids, you know, that target market group. And you know that when anything happens, such as, you know, the financial collapse or the advent of the Internet or whatever else, who gets hit the worst? It's always going to be us. It's always going to be it's always going to be the minorities in this country that get the worst. Mm -hmm. So I think if you look at GQ to me is a really great case study. If you look at GQ after Art Art Cooper Cooper. died, I know I mean, I called you and I was Mm -hmm. just like, man. This is about to be messed up. It's about to be messed up up because it was like our Cooper died. The internet was in full blast. It was like this magazine is about to get trashed. And for a while, it did. Did. Jim Nelson, Mm -hmm. I give him credit though. Jim Nelson, over the last, I would say maybe three, four years, has brought this magazine back. And it's like, I now, for the first time in like almost a decade, I look forward to getting GQ every and before during the Art Cooper era, that was like the highlight, one of the highlights of my month Mm -hmm. was getting GQ every month. R. Cooper was the man. So it was like, now it's like it's starting to get back to that point. But one of the ways they've been doing it, to your point, Jahan, is that they haven't completely, they started to kind of give into that internet thing. They did. Then mm-hmm. they fought it. And now you can see, okay, they're starting to get more comfortable and more in their rhythm of saying, we don't have to be just like the internet. Mm-hmm. But for us, for our culture, even for those of us like Scoop, to Scoop's point, yeah, editors and writers may want to stand up and say that. The publisher has to be willing to do that. Right. And in all these mm-hmm. magazines, if in, maybe with the exception of, of e- Ebony and Jet, all these magazines, you're dealing with white publishers right. or white or boards, you know what I'm saying, of people who are not of our culture. So who is going to stand mm-hmm. up and say, you know what, we don't have to so, go this route. We don't. So and yeah, at, 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 at Vibe, at Vibe, you may have uh, Daytwans or Jermaine's mm-hmm. or whoever, you know, individually fighting these little battles. But yo, until the publishers and these the people who are really writing these checks come on board mm-hmm. and say we're gonna do this, it's not gonna happen. And at the same so time, it's not just let's not just stick it in vibe. You know, Esquire's changed Esquire. over the years. Yeah, you know, Esquire. Rolling Stone has changed. Mm-hmm. Over, it's the same thing. They've adapted to the style to what I'm saying about the publishers looking at the readership and their attention span. They're all trying to adapt. So it's vibe isn't alone in doing this. So it's not necessarily always a black or white thing as far as this is concerned. There are other magazines that have publishers are like no we're going a different route because we're being affected by this is in certain magazines and i think you bring a vanity fair as a classic example of a magazine that is so rich and so grounded and been doing it so much longer right Mm -hmm. you could take fucking gq esquire vibe ebony put them all together they still don't have the legacy that vanity fair does vanity Mm -hmm. fair is a different breed that's why it's always been that magazine but let's go to like the fortune magazines to the rolling stones to the Esquires to this, they've mm-hmm. all changed. They've all made the same change that Vive had because the publishers are basically in a panic move. Mm-hmm. You know, they're looking at where they're losing money from dealing and fighting against the internet and find a way to adapt to what that culture mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And one one quick thing, oh, real quick, let me correct myself because uh, R. Cooper died before. No, he died after. Remember, they booted him. 
Yeah. He, he left the magazine, then he died, mm-hmm. real, you know, shortly right, after, after that. that. But uh, also, real quick, and this is kind of to uh, what Jahan and Scoop were talking about, with a magazine like Vibe, to put, let's say, Rihanna, who is probably the biggest, you know, female pop singer right now of that in that genre, to put her on the cover is not as big of a deal as it is now as it was, say, 10 or 15 years ago, because... Right. Instagram, this this chick got, you know, 20 million people follow her on Instagram. She's always posting photos of herself, right. always. Right. So it's like, I don't see kids going to the newsstand with that same sense of urgency saying, yo, yeah. there's a photo spread of Rihanna in here because it's not the same. That was the only imagery you could get back That's then. That's the that only imagery you covers. get. That you know, and album covers. To me, there's still quality in it because you can take that and put it up on your wall, but kids don't even do that anymore. I got one. I know they don't put stuff on their right. walls much, but... <laughs> If if Rihanna does a photo shoot for Vibe, there's a good chance she's going to Instagram the photos of the photo shoot. You know, what before, before it comes out, it comes out. Right, 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 right. it's like so. It's like right. there's not that so, that connection anymore. So, it, in conclusion, is it going to take another Quincy Jones to go to another Time Warner and say, "Trust us, this is going to be special"? We already or, had that episode. It, there are no more Quincy take- Jones. <laughs> But right, right. But I don't think it's gonna take another Quincy. I think it's gonna take some. It's gonna take a collection of individuals that really think that a venture of, of this sort is going to pay off, and they'll have the money to lose it. You know what I'm saying? So I don't think it's gonna necessarily gonna be a Quincy because you know Russell Simmons has tried it. You've heard other quote unquote music entrepreneurs that have tried to get into the literature game, and it just hasn't worked out. You know, Quincy did it a lot later in his career where he wasn't really focused on music so he can look at other ventures to get into. Um, but I, I, I don't think it's going to come from that Quincy Jones type place. I think it would take a collection of individuals and maybe there may be a music cat in there involved with this, but it'll take a group to say, you know what, we really want to do something. You know, we really have the money to do something special to bring this type of journalism back. Um, I, I think it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know who's going to happen with, but I do believe it's going to happen. But it's not. I don't think it's going to happen the same way, John. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't think it's going to happen the same way. And I'd be very interested to see if if a company that's already in print media that will finance this. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah, I think I, you're it, right. It, it, I think you're know, absolutely right. I, I to be you're honest with you, right. I, I think the. There's a foundation to already an existing magazine. It's already there. They just don't have the money. And if you gave them the money, they could branch out and be that magazine. And that's Wax Poetics. Mm. You know, if, if, if you took, let's say if somebody with AOL, or let's say Apple. Apple is a classic example of, of, a, of, a, of a company that say, you know what? We can actually do a music magazine. We have the money to do it. It's kind of in our vein. You know, we could do this. We get the right people. And we know they wouldn't do something urban like this. But if they decide to put money behind, like tell Wax Press, like, look, we want to take over the magazine. You all can do it. What that magazine would become because they are so grounded and rooted in trying to just give you stories. That, that that's, that's probably the way something like that would happen, I think. Let's do a what if. What if. What if. What if Russell Simmons stayed on as an investor or never by left. a magazine? Investor as in he had a voice in the magazine? Yes. No, we wouldn't be doing voice this show. And, voice and influence. We wouldn't be doing this show. Because we not, we not, are we going to do a show on One World? No. <laughs> one World. Does anybody even know One World magazine besides school? Yeah, I bought, I bought a couple of issues. Okay. I bought a couple because the covers of One dope. World. I bought a couple of issues of True, of Trace. I bought a couple of issues I bought every everybody. issue of Ego Trip. 
there are, you know, there are other options out there. And one world, it tried to have its own identity. It tried to have its own personality, everything that we're talking about. But he, I don't know, it's just like, can you have, can you have a magazine led by someone who has a horse in the race? You know, Quincy has retired almost, you know what I'm saying? He mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I don't really have a stake, a current stake in this. I don't have artists who depend on this kind of coverage. Exactly the sort of reason that we all shot down the source's credibility. When Dave Mays and Benzino started running, Benzino is better than Eminem. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> right. I yeah, you flip, you know, all your credibility is gone. Right. 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 To me, One World did make a decision, though, Jay. I, I felt like they didn't make a choice. You know, and as, a, as a writer and as an editor, you have to make choices. I feel like they didn't make a choice. They just was like, we're this magazine about everything. Are you saying Russell didn't want to do Vibe and then was like, you know what? I'm just going to start my own magazine. Well, I think what, this is the way I wanted one to world, go. One World happened so much later than that. Yeah, so much I, later. and I, th- I think it was inevitable he was going to do a magazine. I think Russell, at some point, he was going to do yeah. everything. You know what I'm saying? He wanted to be, you know, spread this vision of to me, which was a vision of, again, no choices. It was like, you know, we're about multicultural and we're this and we're that. It was like, I picked up that magazine. I can't even remember. I can't even tell you one article from that magazine. I can, I can remember covers. Well, I remember they had, the, they had the D'Angelo cover where he's like, I think he's got wings or something. I remember that one. Uh, I don't remember that. But I, I mean, I to answer your one. question, what if he would have, if he would have been the, an investor in Vibe and had a strong voice in the magazine, his voice, obviously, to me, it would have clashed with a lot of other voices in the room, and that's why it didn't happen. But if his voice would have been the primary voice, I don't see Vibe doing a, you know, George Clinton, you know, I don't see them doing that, the third the third issue. I don't see them doing that. <laughs> I, see them, I see them being much more hip-hop. I see them being their focus, almost to the extent where it's like, okay, yeah, you want to kind of do this multicultural thing, but I think musically, I don't think Russell is going to be as broad you know what I'm saying, as, as Vibe ended up being. To give everybody some background, he left the enterprise because of a credibility question. He questioned Jonathan Van Meter's credibility and in turn, and, Jonathan and questioned his. And, right, right. Right, but that's well, a not big just, part of it. Not just, not just, from what I've read, not just Jonathan's sexuality, but everybody working for Vibes. Like he, uh, the <laughs> he was questioning everybody's sexuality. Right. No, but because I read an uh, article in the New York Times where he was quoted as saying, there is not one straight black man in those offices. Mm-hmm. Emil Wilberkin, that's what we were missing. So he said there's not one straight brother in the whole building, so I'm not staying. Because <laughs> he was, he well, was no, getting harassed. I don't know if that was the reason <laughs> or if he was told, look, you know, we don't know if you, as, a, you know, as the CEO of Def Jam, have enough objectivity here you know is it going to mm. be LL Cool J Red Man Method Man on the first three covers <laughs> right see I don't I, I remember the, I remember him making a comment about how's a gay white man going to run a magazine built for black folks and that was that was his main problem with what was going on and to answer the, to the what if I you know I'm a, I'm a fan of Russell's but I'm a magazine guy so I've always had the belief that you know Russell may have had some things he could have brought to the table and I actually get where he's coming from from that standpoint of being a jump off you're trying to tell tell a story or culture somebody has to be connected to I get that but we're trying to run a magazine that to me almost in this standpoint what trumps a lot of what else is on the table you, we're not we're not running a label right we're, we're not running a label music. right this isn't yeah. about this is about a magazine you need somebody with magazine experience in here you know and I don't I think Russell, if he had stayed, he wouldn't have stayed long. I th- the answer to the question, I think Vibe would still have been the same because I don't think he would have stayed long. 
It may have been after the first two issues he still would have been gone because at some point, with Quincy being out of the game, like Jahan said, and Jonathan, you know, being outside of the culture, Russell was going to be the one to meet and tell everybody, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the only one here that's connected to this culture. Do you think that if Russell stayed, East Coast, West Coast would not have gone down the way that it went down mm. because he would have the perspective to know the foresight, not just his perspective, but the foresight to know that, look, these boys are going to end up killing each other. I don't know if he would have that foresight, but I, I think coming from old school hip hop, I don't think in the nature of Russell, I don't think he would have wanted to see it, you know, escalate like that. I don't know if he would have been, because truthfully, man, I don't know if anybody could have said, oh, they're going to end up shooting each other. But at the same time, because really, did they shoot each other? That's the other question. You know what I'm saying? We don't know. But I, at the same time, I could see Russell saying, we can't push this as far because these brothers are, might take this to another level. I could see that. But here's the deal. What's Russell's position? Because at the same time, if this is still, and I, I, don't, I don't know if Time Warner was still best, vested as far as interest is concerned in this magazine, but unless it's Russell's magazine, you get unless he owns it, not the, I think Keith Klingscales may have been, I don't know if Keith or Kennard were president. I can't remember who was the president of the magazine. Yeah, shout out time. to Kennard Gibbs. Right. You know, but... The power Trump is going to be. This is a news story. This is a news story that had to be involved in a culture that we are covering. That's bigger than we don't give it that. We have to tell the story. We have access to it. So, you know, you're not going to not shoot should in the mafia style. Now, you you know, you may approach it differently, but you're not going to not tell the story. This story was too big, whether Vibe or any other magazine was involved in it for Russell to, if he had been there, say we're not going to do It's too big. And he's, unless it's his magazine, like he's the sole owner and proprietor of it. No, the bigger organization is going to call shots over that. And then, then that's when the board of directors come in. It's like, Russell, you're removed. So you're saying that it's inevitable. He would have gone. He, oh, yeah. At some point, he's out. I, I, yeah, I think so. Because if because if I remember, Black Spot did the Puffy. What you call it? The cover story with Puffy, where it says Puffy and Biggie break the silence or whatever. Black Spot did this story. Sat down yeah. with him. It was a, that was that was that was a really good story. Black Spot. Yeah, he did that before he came over to me at Double XL. Great story. Here's the deal. You don't turn that down as a magazine. That's a news story, and you're the only one to get it. You can't be a publisher of a magazine and opt out of that situation. I hear what you're saying. You can't turn down the opportunity to air this news. But I think there's a difference between airing news and reporting news and giving a mouthpiece to people so they can so they can put forward their agenda. That's the other question is that, you know, did Vibe report or did they sensationalize? And I think a lot of people have accused them of sensationalizing right. over the years. So Arthur's question, I think, was built around the the hypothesis that they did sensationalize and saying, mm -hmm. okay, let's just take that for granted for a second and say, would that have happened if Russell been there? I get what you're saying about the board of the directors and everybody, you know, the publisher being involved. But just to speak on Russell's point of view, I would say that his point of view probably would have would have been a little bit more tempered, you know what I'm saying, because of personal relationships with these people as opposed yeah. to a journalist who does not have those type of relationships. Um, who was, Maybe or, he would have sat down. Maybe he would have sat everybody down yeah he might have gotten into like Uncle Rush summit. mode and all that stuff yeah. you know yeah, yeah. so he, yeah. he probably would have yeah, he probably would have done a summit got Reverend Al broadcasted and made some money you know what I'm saying he probably would have done something like that but overall though I mean my opinion I don't think if if he would have been involved with the magazine from the start at a very uh, 
influential level, I don't see Vibe becoming what it became. You know what I'm saying? I think that took journalists. You know what I'm saying? Right. I think I agree. Uh, Russell would have ran it more like a, a record label and would that have been detrimental to the actual magazine. But let's go back to what you were saying earlier about if he had stayed there, would it be... With, with there being a principal situation that would not have changed? Because as I said earlier, I saw a principal shift in Vibe magazine with the TLC thing. Do you think Russell would have, if he was there, there would have been a different set of principles that they would have operated with over the first four or five years? And it's the exact same thing you're saying about the East Coast, West Coast. That he would have set a different principle where they wouldn't have done the Bush League stuff like that. Yeah, that, the TLC thing, I don't think would have happened. Yeah. All right, let's do a round table. You're the new editor-in-chief of Vibe magazine, and you are charged with rebooting the magazine for 2014. Who is your first cover and why? Go ahead, Jahan. I want to hear yours. Jahan can't go first because after he's editor-in-chief, the magazine is done. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. No, I got to hear Jahan. One issue and out. (laughs) I got to hear Jahan. I think I know who Jahan's going to say. Well, I don't think you would, but tell me who you think it was going to be. Well, between one or two people. It would either Go be on. Fly Lotus or Jay Elect. I think Jay Elect probably trumps it because uh, you're, you're a smart guy and I know you wouldn't be so obscure to have somebody <laughs> on the magazine that only two people have heard. <laughs> you, can't, you can't jumpstart a magazine doing the experimental issue. <laughs> With the instrumentalist. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. I would well, think it would be, I think it would be Jay Elect. I, I would, and with, with, with uh, Fly Low as a real close second because that would be... Um, because there's a story there to be told. So I, for you, I'm, I'm waiting to hear Jay Elect, but go ahead. Okay, well, I'm going to let you down on both counts. I would put Esperanza Sporting on the cover. I was always a bit, I want to say disappointed, but I always thought that, and I think Scoop might feel me on this, but I always thought that they could have got more out of the cover for radio, the cover art for Radio Music Society than mm-hmm. they did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I liked it. I liked the vibe a bit, but I just don't think it said a huge amount about her. And it wasn't the counterpoint to Chamber Music Society that I was expecting or that it could have been. And I know that there was supposed to be a duality between those two albums, but the cover art really wasn't associated at all. There was no kind of concept linkage or, or anything other than the name. So what I would do would be to show her in the context that she currently wants to show herself in. But I would do it in such a way that you could see the perceived dilemma or, or, or the perceived different aspects that she has right now. So the famous thing is that you know, she's a jazz musician and she's dabbled in classical jazz too, Chamber Music Society. She won the Grammy uh, to, you know, to the chagrin of most uh, Justin Bieber supporters. She also dropped this new album, which was supposedly a little bit more radio friendly. And I would do something in a way that it showcased all three of those worlds. But I think that she's a beautiful, beautiful woman. She doesn't get enough publicity, uh, at least in print. And it, it, it would just be, she's such a striking figure. Yeah. It would, I, I think she would just look fantastic on a cover if done right. I think that's a great, I think I, 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 I can argue with that and I agree with you. I think also, um, you know, I agree the fact that there hasn't been that Esperanza Spalding story done correctly yet. Right. I've never right, exactly. read, as much as I've read about her and, and been following her since she was at Berkeley, I have not read that definitive, that definitive Esperanza Spalding piece. So I agree with you, Jahan. That, that, but if you do this, you know that guy Scoop Jackson got to write that story. <laughs> oh, hell, definitely. 
<laughs> definitely, definitely. It'll be, me and you, it'll be me and you going down with the ship when you know, we sell no copies. But yeah. let me, uh, Jay, let me ask you this, though. She is very beautiful. So how do you approach the shoot? Do you directly play on her sexuality or do you or do you? I mean, how? I, I'm not saying. Do you get her naked, or do you not no, get no, her naked? No, how do you? I mean, how do you do this? Because get her to do I, that I, Alicia Keys pose. <laughs> no, from the first. <laughs> no, I definitely, no. I definitely would not do that. Uh-huh. I definitely would not do that. So you know, you scoop. You brought up the turning point in Vibes cover art as being TLC fires it up, and they were wearing. Not only were they wearing the fire, um, you know, the, the 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 fireman suits, but they were also wearing nothing underneath. Right, the yeah, fireman and it, suits, and it was like in the table of contents. Like, you see that, right? Hold, it was unzipped to Kingdom Come, and you know, it naked, was right. it was overly sexualized almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would not do that. Definitely, she's a you know, I would want to display her as she is. You know, mm-hmm. like the perfect object of class at the moment. You know, so sophisticated, so and and you know, I would want how the audience or how the readership sees her on the cover to reflect on what the magazine was about. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't Playboy. This right. isn't FHM. This is a highbrow magazine with personality, with charisma. Uh, that, that's what I would want to do. I love that pick. I love that pick. Yeah, that's a good one, John. All right. Uh, I'll go. Yeah. I'll go next. So uh, uh, if I'm rebooting Vibe, I'd want to do something. I want to do something retro in the in the style of Vibe where it got in-depth into, into the artist and giving the artist some personality um, even though on the surface you may want to disregard or have some preconceived notions. Um, I'd also want to move some units. So I'd want to create some controversy that would create a halo effect where I'd get publicized on other media outlets because of the brashness of it. So my re- my reboot would be Robin Thicke. Put Robin Thicke on the cover. And I put him on the cover in oh blackface. Oh, oh, my God. I already see where this is going. <laughs> Oh God! I feel like suing you myself right now. But go ahead. <laughs> I put Robin Thicke on the cover in blackface uh. and do the article about him, um, with how a Canadian American becomes an R&B sensation, encroaching on Timberlake's territory. But I'm, it's interesting to me. You say I would. I would have thought you were gonna go with Justin Timberlake. With the same concept. It's just too easy. In blackface, you're talking about the black side of Justin Timberlake? I'm in editorial room mode again. I'm like, first of all, we're not doing blackface. That would never happen. But second of all, I like the concept behind it. But see, I would say people, maybe I, mean, I would say maybe take maybe take uh what's his name? Uh Robin and put him in a black atmosphere or something. But I, you know, blackface, we ain't yeah, we would be one issue and done. <laughs> It would be but, you know, I mean, people offices. know people fundamentally know Timberlake's story. Disney insane. They don't know the black side of his story. I don't know how to quantify it in a word, but it's like Thick is is he's kind of like that alternative slant kind of thing. I mean, similar to what I was saying about how 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 Vibe's first cover was was Snoop. Right. You, 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 people knew who Snoop was. He was anticipated. He was, you know what I mean? But he wasn't there yet. Right. I think it's kind of like, like that. There, Justin already is. is. So, so Justin, even though I'm talking about putting people in blackface, I'm saying Justin's the more safer choice. Uh-huh. Whereas Thick, I think, would, would move issues beyond the R&B target audience of Vibe. I think that, um, I think Rolling Stone did a piece on Timberlake that was very Memphis heavy and very kind of got into his roots in black music, but 
I see your point there. I think what's interesting to me about Arthur's idea is that a lot of people feel like Robin Thicke just came here last year. Yeah. He's been doing right. this for like 15 that's, years. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> right, right. It's like he's been in that's the game true. forever. You know what I'm saying? So it's like this is not any type of... So yeah, from that standpoint... See, and then you get the tagline, the blackest white man in the game. And 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 again, <laughs> we're one issue and out. No, <laughs> no, nah, nah, you can you can make it work you with the blackface or without the blackface. The blackface. Let's, let's be honest. Robin Thicke is never doing that. He would never agree to that. You know what I'm saying? But okay, just in a hypothetical roundtable world, if he agreed to it, I, I don't know, man. I think he might. No, he would never. Especially now, after 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 the, the lawsuit, no. What Beetlejuice, well, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice? If if <laughs> a CEO of Foot Locker, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but you know, I mean, Whoopi Goldberg talked Ted Danson into blackface back in the day, right? I mean, the craziest things can happen sometimes, and uh, you know, if you. Apparently, Paula Patton talked him into the Blurred Lines video. Mm-hmm. Which, that's his, that's which is the story. I don't biz- believe that one. I don't believe that for a minute. I don't believe that for a minute. I think that's a PR oh, he's saying story. it's okay because a woman, right? Okay, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I, mean, I think it's a PR story. If, if we go with the principles of vibe back in the day, you just send Robin Thicke through a bunch of different cover shoots. <laughs> right. And he never knew. You know what I'm saying? The black face. <laughs> one right. of nine. One shot's a clown. Right. 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 <laughs> just change it all up and all of a sudden, boom. Yeah, I can see now, that. I, I, but I, like I said, I like the concept behind it. I think that needs, I think this would be a very appropriate time to explore, you know what I'm saying, his roots and his association and not only the, in a positive light, but look at the paradoxes of it and look at the, what happens when you sue. So let's be honest, him being what he is, basically and looking at his fan base and who his target consumer is and who buys his album, him suing Marvin is like a pre-suing God, basically. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I want to be a Catholic priest. By the way, I have a lawsuit against God. That's basically what it is. And so f- there's a lot of there's a lot of territory to, to to mine in there. If he's if he's down to do it, you know what I'm saying? If he's down to do he, it, that's he would probably he would probably never agree to this. But what about what about photographing him in that iconic "Let's Get It On" clothing and pose? I, I think that's a, a dope idea. I, I do think if I was Robin Thicke's people, I would say hell no. You know what I'm saying? Because that's giving a middle finger again to the gay family and to, you know, to basically to black music at that point. But from a from a just a throwing an idea, throwing it around in the editorial room, I think that's yeah, that would get greenlit quicker than the <laughs> the black face. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, for for Blue Eyed Soul is for years, it's always been like they only get one. You know, they had George Michael for a little bit. He's out, you know, Daryl Hall for a hot minute. He's out. Right now, you got two. You got Timberlake and you got Thick. I think it's just harder now because I think in the '80s we did have you know Michael McDonald, Daryl Hall, Phil Collins for a while. We had we had artists who they may not have been Blue Eyes Soul, but they were artists who put out product that we would kind of dip our hand in and grab one or two songs from them. Totally you know agree. Totally yeah, so, agree. Robert Palmer. Totally agree. So it's like we had them. I think it's harder now, but. I just, I mean, I get like the editorial concept that you're thinking. I'm for it. I'm more for like the story that you're trying to tell rather than the cover. I, I think it's ambitious what, what Arthur wants to do. My only question would be, what do you follow that up with? Mm. That's so out there that the continuity that Jahan was talking about in the original Vibe Days, there was, there was a streamline where you kind of knew it. It stylized itself the same way, with the first eight covers. That's so out there 
what do you follow up with without it becoming a letdown? But isn't that in any situation though? I mean, not, if you're not, gonna do the if you're gonna do the premier issue, you, you are thinking about issues two and three. But I'm asking. But your you, first issue has got to be like right out of the gate. But you, but you, but I'm asking you. You're the one that came with the idea. What do you follow that up? <laughs> well, with? the roundtable was what's your first cut. <laughs> no, I'm just saying what you have to think about. Like, we do extra work. You, but no, the idea is what. You, but I'm asking you in the same context. If you're relaunching, I do Tyler. I put Tyler on the cover. Oh, that's a good one. I'd put Tyler. I'd put Tyler on the cover with Earl sweatshirt replicating the Janet cover. <laughs> Tyler's got his hands <laughs> he's on, he's over, on, he's or, on over Earl. Earl's breast. <laughs> he's on Earl's breast. That's the cover. That's beautiful. Yes, yeah. Where's, where's That's the, beautiful. Where's the sweatshirt? Tied around his waist? That's not like a Prince Vanity cover, though. He'd have to change his name. And Earl sweats, it'd be Earl Breast. That's what you do. The, the the crazy part is you ask Earl and Tyler to do that Prince of Maine, they would well, probably they do, do it. They do that. They probably they would do it. Yeah, they probably do it. Now the yeah. joke would be lost because nobody else, none of their their fan base knows anything about that Prince right, of Maine. Right. I'll go next. <clears throat> Scoop can uh, close it out. Um, my pick is based on what we talked about earlier. As far as I don't think that there's enough. It, if I was going to reboot Vibe, I would approach it the way that Quincy approached it as far as saying, look, this is not just about, you know, the music. How can I reboot this around the culture? And, you know, to be quite honest, I would do it from an economic standpoint. I don't think there's anybody musically enough that's going to reboot this magazine for me. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe J. Cole. I think he's put out the best hip hop album of the year. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But or yeah, maybe J. Cole. But I think if I was really going to try to go for maximum sales. I would put Kerry Washington on the cover, maybe with her, maybe with her, a couple of her castmates That's behind good. her. That's a good one. That's a and it would be the scandal cover. Because mm-hmm. I don't watch that show. I watched the first episode. Dude, but anytime that show is on, I always know when it's on because Twitter blows up with women talking about scandal. You know what I'm saying? Blow by blow. Like it's a heavyweight championship fight or something. Just scene by scene, show. line by line. They're all over Twitter. So. It's not my type of show, but I think that if I was editor in chief of this magazine, and they came and said, "Look, we want to reboot Vibe, and we, you know, we're trying to really restart this magazine," I would say, "Okay, we're not going to put a musician on the first cover. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm saying we're going to put something that represents where people's head are at, head is at right now, and it's scandal. You know, um, I'm not mad at that. Yeah, at and, and Carrie Washington always, you know, to me, I think, I think she's she's a very talented actress. I think I love to see a brown skin sister, you know, what I'm saying doing what she's doing. I, you know, to me, television. I still have major issues with television on black folks because you never, rarely do you see two black people in a happy. Not since Claire and Cliff do you see two black people in a good relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm saying on television. So even when we have strong black characters, they're usually paired with someone who is not of their race. Mm-hmm. So and to me, and there's nothing wrong with that, but to me that shows that reinforces the idea that we don't have good relationships with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Carrie Washington is is a very talented actress and she's she's gorgeous, you know what I'm saying? So you're gonna have a lot of appeal to that. And I just think vibe from looking at it historically, I just feel like it's not a like we talked about before, it's a cultural magazine. So taking that Wesley Snipes, who was what their third issue, yes. and making him number one, basically. That's um, a, okay, you're on the same page. Right, I'm because on. I don't think to me there's nobody. Like I said, maybe J. Cole, but really there's nobody strong enough musically. I would feel comfortable who can capture, you know, what I'm saying what's going on right now. All these cats are kind of like, 
you know, maybe it, if I did J. Cole, I would, I would really do like this is the reboot of everything. Like J. Cole is rebooting hip hop. That would be yeah. my angle. Yep. You know what I'm saying? We reboot the magazine. J. Cole is rebooting hip hop. That would be it. You and I you know could do the exact same right. thing. And we would have our one issue and we'd be out. <laughs> no, no, that, that would stick. But we are, we're, on the, we're on the exact same page. My initial would be if I hadn't already done it and been through it, I'd have done it. D'Angelo. But I've been through that fight with him before. When we relaunched, kind of relaunched Double XL after issue two, we did three, put him on the cover three. So mm-hmm. I've lived that moment. So I can't do D'Angelo. He scratched off. And I know he's dead to you, but still, <laughs> I think getting him, you go through the same thing. He's been gone so long. He's the story. I do this. I have Jonathan Mannion shoot him. You know what I'm saying? It'll be, it'll be beautiful. I make it happen. But if I really had one to choose, I'd start, like you say, I do the whole Wesley Snipe theme as my first issue, but I do Idris Elba. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, I do yeah. Idris Elba yeah, same one. same same kind of concept, but he's he's Wesley Snipes. Mm-hmm. That would set the stage for what I once again I'd have Jonathan Mannion shoot him. But the other thing I would do is I would highlight or I probably get somebody like Rob Marriott to do the story. I'd find that writer and do the one thing that they sometimes didn't choose to do: put the writer's name on the cover. Mm-hmm. I make sure the headlines are dope, but it'll be Idris Elba, you know, whatever by Rob Marriott. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'd have, I would start highlighting my, and I bring, I'd make sure that that was part of the highlight of coming back. The relaunch would be, I'm bringing back real writing, and I'm gonna let you know who's going to be involved in it. You know, I'm gonna try to get Scott. I don't know if I'm gonna give you know Nelson and all that, but I would definitely, that would be a part of the sale. The tagline had to be dope, but it doesn't be Idris Elba. Definitely shot by Jonathan Manuel or Clay Patrick McBride. One of those two would shoot it for me. Mm-hmm. Here's your tag because, or your, your headline on the, uh, on the cover because there's so many rumors surrounding right now him and, you know, maybe getting to play the next 007, which I don't That's think is going to happen. But your tag could be Elba. Idris Elba. <laughs> right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly. That's dope. That's, that's what I do it because of Luke coming so back so. out. But the whole 007, you know, I would that would be the whole play. And that's the reason I was like, he'd be the perfect person to do it. But it's on the exact same vein. It's funny how you and I sometimes no, think I, of like. I, I think that, it, that, it, that, I'm down with that cover. Yeah, because like, you go that. the Wesley route. <laughs> right. You do the Wesley. And you don't pigeonhole yourself and be in the music magazine. You, you broaden the scope just off the bat. You let folks know what this is going to be. And you get the women audience. You probably get the men for the 007 thing, depending on the oh, angle. Oh, you get the men. Yeah, brothers, string a bell. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's string you string, right. He, right. He's what he is, the black culture. You get in here. But the women fall into this. Boom. Mm-hmm. Yep. Your, your women audience is locked and just like that. Here's an important part real quick to to add on to this whole discussion. I think we've said it, you know, we've kind of said it several times that, Part of the problem is that the audience doesn't want, you know, this long form journalism. They don't want this, blah, blah, blah. But also the flip side of that is when you treat something a certain way, it informs the audience. In other words, if you put him on the cover like that, you let them know you put the the, uh, the writer's name on the That's cover. Right. You let them know this is important. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You don't shoot J. Cole with Miguel. You give J. Cole his own cover and let them know mm-hmm. this is an mm-hmm. important moment in time right now in hip hop. You know what's going on with hip hop right now. That informs the reader right. and these kids to the point where they're like, oh, this looks different. It feels different. That's the way I felt with Double XL before I met you. Mm-hmm. When I think it was the third issue I saw over at Dominic's on 71st Street or somewhere. I saw it on the shelf and it was like a different feeling that came to me from that. And it was like a higher level of importance is being associated with these artists. When you tell people something is important a lot of times and you treat it that way and yeah. you put the time and the effort into it. That informs them and they'll take it as such. You know what I'm saying? So I think a lot of times 
we in the industry, uh, whether it be advertising, journalism, whatever, we blame things on what the kids aren't doing, blah, blah, blah. Now, but a lot of times you look at it, yo, let's start treating things a little differently and making them understand what's important. And mm-hmm. I, I think they'll respond to that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Idris on the cover in that context. Mm-hmm. That just says a lot because he's been on covers of magazine before, but it's been throwaway stuff like, oh, yeah, right. he's hot, he's this, like, nah. you know, he can act. You, you know what I'm saying? But nah, you if you really take the time to frame him and look at this cat for who he is, I, I love it. I and love shoot it. him in the same way, like I said, a tribute to that Wesley Snipes cover. Right. It's iconic, you know, portraits, not pictures, portraits. portraits. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, there's a big difference, and that's what I would do. Like, get the best guys to shoot him, like, really, not, in, not no BS, like, really, all right, we're gonna do this, and they know. And so that's why you bring cats in who have been through it before because they know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, 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 that's he, a good he'd one. Be mine. That's dope. And I think all of these, we should say all of these, are, I think all of our covers are old school vibe, that that size, not the new size. No, no, you gotta have no. <laughs> We talking about the old school, big, you know, uh, I don't know, I can't remember the exact phrase. I'm, uh, my journalism teachers would be upset with me, but there's that phrase for that type of mm-hmm. size of mm-hmm. magazine. Um, that's because we need that space mm-hmm. to you really recreate to these images. In. Vibe editors, hit us up. We got ideas <laughs> <laughs> of how to completely sink your magazine. Right. <laughs> but it'll be hot. This has been episode 19 <laughs> of the Music Snobs podcast. Again, uh, Scoop Jackson, Isaac Perry, Jahan, my name is Arthur. We thank you. TheMusicSnobs.com is where we live. Full show libraries are located at, well, there and. The Twitter handle is Total Music Snobs. Facebook.com slash The Music Snobs. And you can find us on SoundCloud streaming, soundcloud.com slash The Music Snobs.